We're getting ready to get into the Word in just a second, but before we do, does anyone know what Wednesday night is? Or Okay, Wednesday day would count too. <laughs> okay. Valentine's Day, and only two people. Guys, you are in big trouble. Whoa, your counseling load's going to be full come next weekend. Oh, yeah. Yes, because it would be the win. Yes, you're right. Anyways, Wednesday night, we are having a Valentine's banquet, and we still have a few uh, places open if you are interested. It's going to be so much fun, guys. I'm telling you. We're having a wonderful catered meal. They will serve you at your table. We're not going to make you wait in line for anything. You can have your prom picture made. I know you all love those. And we'll have live entertainment. It's just going to be good. And you know what's going to be really, really sad is when you see it on social media and you're like, oh, man, I missed it. And we're going to sit there and we're going to go, man, they missed it. But um, it's going to be good, so sign up in the foyer. We want you to be there. We want the family to come together if we can. So now let's jump up and let's get into the Word together as a family because I believe God has something for us in it. Are you ready? All right, then. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps, but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied, There may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you, Lord, that it teaches us if we will just pay attention. You are speaking to us in your word. And and Father, sometimes it's subtle and sometimes it's glaring. Father, sometimes it is so black and white. And Father, that's what I see here, that we are to watch for you and to be ready for your return. And so, Father, I ask that you would just cement that in the spirits of your people, God, in the hearts of your people. I pray, Father, that everything that is of me, um, would fall to the ground, be forgotten. Everything that is of you would stand and produce fruit like we know it does. In Jesus' name. And they all said, Amen. 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 God is just good. Can I tell you something? There's a lot of controversy around this particular passage of Scripture. It's kind of crazy. I hadn't realized, I mean, because I was taught in a certain manner uh, growing up. But as I was studying this out, I mean, people like argue over what the oil is. You know, a lot of most people in what I was taught was that the oil was the Holy Spirit. 
But the argument is, how can you run out of Holy Spirit? <laughs> and the argument, another one said, it's, it's the hope and it's the expectation that is within our hearts because that's what's expressed in the final uh, portion of the passage. It says, be ready. You know, you don't know the, the day or the hour. So the oil can be several things, but I believe it is an element of the Holy Spirit. I do believe that it is manifestations of the presence of the Spirit in our life as cultivated by the uh, the proof of the Word in our lives. But no matter the case, throughout all of the controversy, throughout all of the stuff, ultimately, ultimately there is one thing that I came away with. There is one thing that I have learned about this difference between wisdom and foolishness, and it is this. The waiting is the hardest part. And as I have studied out this particular passage of Scripture, the difference that I see between the wise and the foolish lies in the waiting. We do not wait well. Have you noticed this? You're thinking, oh, I have no problem with that. Oh, really? Let's just take a couple steps back, why don't we? Last time you were standing in a line at Walmart... I just have a simple question to pose. Your thoughts at that moment, or was it, I am so in love with Jesus. Right now, I just love Jesus. I would venture a guess that it wasn't. Um, What about the last time you were on the interstate? (laughs) And somebody cut you off or somebody pulled in front of you or hit their brakes too soon or wouldn't let you merge onto the interstate. Did any of you have issues with that? (laughs) Some of your horns don't work because of situations like that. (laughs) What about the last time you made an appointment with somebody and they were supposed to be somewhere at a certain time and you were there early because Jesus would have been there early? And so you're there early and you are sitting there and you're waiting on them and you're not thinking about what a good person they are as you're sitting there and it's five after and it's 10 after. And then they decide to call and go, hey, I'm running a little late. And then you kind of go, well, don't worry about it because I'm not there anymore. Okay, I would never, okay, I have done that, but I never said I was good at this either. But we don't wait well. We have issues with waiting. And if you think about moments like that and, and you think about what goes on in your spirit when somebody hasn't, somebody said, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do it in this timing and it's not been done yet. And this thing that goes on in our spirits, this battle that we wage in trying to keep a right attitude. Does anybody ever have a problem keeping a right attitude? We don't have a problem keeping an attitude. But a right one, that can become an issue at times. And and that's kind of where the Lord camped for me in this passage of Scripture. Because if you look at it, it says they all had lamps. In the beginning, they all started well. And they all had oil in their lamps. How do we know this? Because it says that when the bridegroom came, the ones that didn't have the extra store of oil asked the ones who did, our lamps are beginning to dim So they had oil in the beginning, but something happened in the interim. Something happened in that uh, time between the promise and the fulfillment. 
And a lot of times that's where we struggle, is between promise and fulfillment. That time that we have to wait, we just don't wait well. And I don't think that they did either. And so we're going to talk about that a little bit. In order to understand why they were waiting and what they were doing, I think it's important that we put it in context as to the time. This parable, as with all parables, is to teach us a lesson. Tell us something about that particular time that now relates to this particular time. So as I'm talking about the wise and the foolish, I want you to know that I'm talking about you. And you get to choose which team you're on. Um, And I'm talking about me because the wise and the foolish, as we talk about that, we're talking about ourselves too. But in this particular context, it's related to the Jewish ceremony of a marriage ceremony. We know this because it says the bridegroom. That's a big clue. (laughs) Big clue. When they mention bridegroom, it might have something to do with a wedding. And uh, so it's talking about the bridegroom coming. In the Jewish tradition, there were three phases to a wedding, three phases to marriage. I mean, there are a lot of different components, but there were three particular phases that we're going to look at. The very first was that there was a bride price paid and a covenant was struck by the father of the groom. Now, let's just ponder that for a moment. By the father of the groom. And the interesting thing was that the bride price was paid and the covenant was struck. And during that, the groom had to go from his house to the home of the bride for the covenant to be established. Now let's just listen in our spirits with that, okay? He goes and journeys to the bride's house so that this bride price can be paid, the covenant can be made. The second portion, well, during that too, the covenant's made and the Bride and the groom speak vows to one another. They make promises to one another in the presence of their family. It's not like some big overblown event. This is just part of the process. They speak their vows to one another. They make promises to one another. And then something interesting happens. They enter into the second portion of this this ceremony, this tradition, uh, these rites and rituals. They do something we don't do. They finish their vows The bride stays where she is, and the groom leaves. The groom leaves because where would he go, you might ask? Wouldn't that be interesting now if we were standing in a church and a bride and groom said their vows to one another, and then he turned around and left? I know everybody's like, oh. That was what they did. He turned and he, he would leave and, he, and she would stay. And her job in that moment was to grab hold of the vows that had been spoken. They were now considered legally betrothed by the law. They were now joined. But she grabbed hold of the promise. Part of his promise was, I will return for you. I'll come back and I will get you. And then his job at that point in time was he had to leave and it had to be at least a year. And it could be several years his job in that interim time was to go and prepare a place for her. During that intervening season, he would leave and he would go to to make a place for her where? In his father's house. In his father's house. Back then, it wasn't any of this, um, we're married now, see you later, we're moving to another state like maybe my children have done, but I'm not going to bring that up. (laughs) They know nothing about covenant, but um, 
<laughs> but this covenant is struck, and, and so the, the bride stays, and the groom goes, and he goes to prepare a place for her. He would build on to his father's house, because in those days, marriage never meant that the father's house would now be diminished. It meant that the father's house would now be added to. And so he would build an elaborate, not, you know, not a little lean-to on the side of the house. He would build something substantial. He would also establish himself during that time. He would go to prepare a place for her. There was none of this, hey, baby, all we need is love. No, mama's getting the house. <laughs> um, And I love that. I love that, that they prepared for that woman. They prepared for that union, for that time. But you know what's even more interesting is that the bride didn't know when he was going to return, but he didn't know when he could return either because that too was based on the father. The father looked at the work of the son and said, now go get your bride. (laughs) Not that that's significant to anything we believe in our faith, waiting on that moment. But what is the bride doing during all of this time? Because see, that position, that's what they're talking about in this parable where these that are waiting and the oil that they have carried, there's a waiting place that we go into as part of the bride. And and I cannot um, emphasize strongly enough, guys, you are part of this bride. And I know that that's not your mentality. A lot of times when you hear the word bride, you think it has everything to do with the woman sitting next to you. You are part of the bride of Christ. You you are part of this. So when I'm talking about this, I'm talking to you too. That's so important. Um, But the bride enters into this time and this season of waiting in expectancy, waiting in faithfulness for her groom, that betrothal period, waiting on him to come and get her as he's promised. Her heart has to be able to believe him. And she's able to believe him because of the covenant. See, we don't understand covenant. This is not a prenup. There are not lawyers that can take this one apart. The covenant is based on the name and the promise of the Father, the reputation of the Father. And everything that happens after that is this this coming under the Father's name, under His protection, into His care as you wait on that promise based on the covenant that He made. It's just, it blows my mind. I can't even fathom it sometimes. But the wife, the woman... She enters into this time, and I just love God's humor. She enters into this time, this season of waiting, and it's called H-O-S-Z. H-O-S-Z, pronounced Oz. She lives in the land of Oz. (laughs) Do you ever feel like you live in Oz? (laughs) Oh, anyway. But she enters this season where... Everything in her is waiting for him. What do you do? That word by definition in that waiting period, I believe that waiting period is what separates the wise from the foolish. What we do in that intervening time, in that time of betrothal, and guys, this is where you are. This is where I am. We have this vow. We have this promise from our, our, uh, our father, from our groom, and he's going to come and get us. And we are in this betrothal period where we're supposed to be waiting expectantly for him. We're supposed to be waiting for him. So what happened? If we can determine what happened, then maybe it'll keep us 
from going that direction, I see three things in it. I see three things that that seem apparent in scriptures and seem apparent in our lives that the wise and the foolish, there was a separation there that they didn't have enough. And um, I also think that when it talks about, it can come across a little selfish when they say, no, go buy your own, we won't share it. To me, that's salvation. We can't give that to someone else. Our children and our friends are not saved because we are saved. Um, It's a very personal thing. And when it says go and buy oil, um, I mean, there's just a lot of interpretation to it. But I know this. I, I don't believe that the Holy Spirit, it says it seals us against that day. I believe when we receive the Holy Spirit, He doesn't suddenly flee us. I believe there's a process that of renewing and, and stoking that fire and that flame uh, that's important. And that, I believe that falls into these categories. And the very first thing that I believe that the wise ones had, that perhaps the not-so-wise didn't, was provision. Provision as in what they needed, but also in honor of Rodney Boyd, pro-vision. Being for the vision, being set apart for some higher calling, being set apart for something that was bigger than them. The wise ones got it. They got that this isn't about this moment. This is a long-term commitment. This is about getting from here to there. This is a journey. They had pro-vision. They were consecrated and set apart for a greater purpose. The second thing I believe that they did is they prepared their heart for a journey beyond that moment. And how did they do that? And I believe that's where we get stuck too, is we're not prepared for the long haul. We pack a few snacks (laughs) and then we hit, you know, like the edge of Florida and we're like, we're stopping to eat. But you don't pack enough for the journey. What don't you pack? You don't pack enough provision, enough wisdom, enough word. It is the word of God that sustains us from there to there. And the final thing, I believe, with the uh, provision and the preparedness, I believe it's patience, which is also not our strong suit. It is a manifestation of the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, and sometimes it is sorely lacking, and it is only patience that allows us to walk faithfully from here to there. Patience. This trust thing plays out so big in our time of waiting. And a lot of us, myself hugely, we have trust issues or we've grown up with trust issues and and we're so used to people not doing what they say they're going to do that it's really hard. It can be very hard. It is such an act of faith, such a deep act of faith to go, God said this and God will do this. And, and, and our finite minds, it's hard for us to grab hold of that. And, but trusting him, trusting that he will do what he said he's going to do is key between the wise and the foolish. Because sometimes the promise is all you have to cling to. Sometimes that hope is all you have to cling to. When I was a kid, I was probably um, 10, 10 and a half. Yeah, I guess about 10 when my parents divorced. And uh, I've shared a lot about that with you guys. But when they divorced, the um, like I told you, my father was a minister. It was not only it didn't just break our family up; it broke the church up. It broke ev- it broke everything. But the thing that I hated the most, the thing that was most devastating to me, was I could not stand the thought of him not living with us. But beyond that, I hated the idea of him being alone. I hated that. 
I hated it. I wanted to take care of him. And, um, but I, I hated that feeling of him, of him not being there. And one day I was having a particularly bad day and they were in the midst of the divorce stuff and, and I was crying and I, and I told him, you know, I just, I can't stand that I'm not going to be with you. And he said, Barbie, I will come after work on Fridays. I will come after work on Fridays. I will pick you up and you can stay with me on the weekends and I will bring you back on Sunday. And man, my heart grabbed hold of that. My heart grabbed hold of that because I thought, okay, I can live with that. I can do that. And so every Friday, every Friday, I would ride that bus home and I would get off of that bus and I would, I would run in the house and I would get my bag and I would sit down on those concrete steps and I would wait for him. Every time I heard a car on the gravel, every time I heard anything, I would reach for that bag and I would start to rise knowing that it was him. And then the car would come and I could see it and I would see it wasn't him. I would sit it down and I would sit down. And I would wait. And until dark and my mom would finally make me go in the house and, and she would make an excuse because you know, back then you could hear if the phone rang, and so I knew he hadn't called. <laughs> but she would make an excuse, you know, I'm sure he got held up, or I'm sure the same because not one time ever, ever did she say anything bad about my dad. I, she never tore him down, ever. But week after week, I would wait, and I would wait, and there was something inside of me just waiting for him. After a, a long period of time, it finally sunk in that he wasn't coming. I stopped hoping. And I stopped, when I stopped hoping, I stopped watching. And when I stopped watching, I stopped waiting. And when I stopped waiting, I stopped living like somebody who had a father. And in that, my heart just became so sick and it changed who I was. It changed who I was. And can I tell you, when you lose hope, it changes who you are. And when you lose hope that God is going to do what he said he's going to do, it will change you. But can I tell you something? I have found someone who keeps his promises. I have found the one my soul does love. I have found the one who does what he says he's going to do and is where he says he's going to be. And can I tell you, my soul waits for him. Not There's no fear in me that he will not show. There's no concern in me that he will not come back and receive me. His word says, where I am, there you may be also. I'll go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. That is his promise. Praise him if you would come out. That is his promise. I am betrothed. I am waiting on the bridegroom. You are betrothed. Are you waiting on the bridegroom?